right. Don't my students do a good job up there? Like, yeah. They do a great job. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Oh, man. So, if, in case you don't know, and this is your first time, I'm the youth pastor, obviously. So, anytime we get a chance to highlight students, I'm like, yes, let's do it. And uh, all four of those, these two, and then the two, uh, they were all a little nervous, but they were all really excited. And so I hope you get to feel their energy with me. It's fun. Let's continue on in our series, <clears throat> Remodeling Relationships. We've been going through <clears throat> the past couple weeks with Pastor John, and he's walked us through the why we should remodel. He's talked us through how we should remodel. If you haven't been with, with us these past few weeks, I highly encourage you go back and listen uh, online to these sermons. I just can't do them justice, and I won't try and summarize them too much, but go back and listen to them why we should remodel, how we should remodel. Speaking of remodeling, and I asked Olivia's permission to tell you the story, Olivia and I, we recently updated our basement, or I should really say have been updating our basement. <clears throat> when we bought the house, we noticed that the, the walls, they're, they're cement old walls, and they're kind of crumbly. They're kind of quite old. And um, th we decided they needed a facelift. And so we started this last summer, and we're still not finished with it. Uh, whatever excuse we like to use. Uh, we got a baby, I'm tired, we're busy, we're long days. I mean, if this project got our full attention, it would probably have taken us like a week we decided to put like, because we wanted to just, just put on like a new layer of cement, paint it, clean it, good to go. And we're still doing it. <laughs> it's, it's taken us eight plus months. But we care about doing it. Because in the end, we know that this could, like we have a vision, like this could be a place where our daughter can play in or with her friends. Or if we invite students to come hang out, they can go down there. Or if students are hanging out upstairs, we'll hide down there. <laughs> there is an end goal in mind. At one point, I was like, this is taking forever. I, I just suggested, let's just hire somebody, uh, what we have left to do. And Olivia goes, no, that's ridiculous. And I go, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Gentlemen, you're right. Okay. Uh, but this house isn't a house I'm trying to flip. If it was a house I was just trying to flip, let's just do the, the cheap, the quick, the quick fixes. Like, let's just get it done so that the buyer can sign the check, but this is our house, so I'm going to treat my house differently that I'm going to fix it than if I was just going to flip it. If we were flipping it, buy the cheap stuff. But this basement project has turned into a labor of love. Kind of feels like we're going crazy. And we use that term, right? Oh, that's, it's a labor of love. It's not really something we want to do, but we are going to do it. And that's, yeah, that's pretty much what love feels like most of the time, a labor of love. As true as this is for our homes, our physical homes, it works the same way in your relationships, in our relationships. These past few weeks, we've been talking about remodeling them. We're not trying to flip them. Quick, easy fixes. We're not trying to do that. Now, as I've sat in those seats with you, and I've heard John preach the truth and preach the words in Scripture, I go, yeah, amen, boss, good job. And then I go, there was something in me, though, right, as I, like, sat there, and I, and I left the rest of the week, like, going, I hear these things, but I have a really hard time doing it. 
Does anyone else feel that way? I'm like, yeah, I, I hear that. That's good. Thank you for like, and I go home and it's, I'm just having a hard time actually doing them. It's easy to hear biblical truth on a Sunday morning and forget about it Monday by noon because life gets our attention. Why am I struggling? Why, like, what is resisting the remodeling within me? Why am I having a hard time struggling to put this into action? I've got the blueprint to remodel. It's all there. Thanks, Pastor. But why am I having trouble doing it? Is it pride? May, well, you know, maybe I could, maybe I should change, but I just don't want to change. Sure, maybe it's pride. But, but I also think that it's something else that grips our hearts. I think we're missing something. Core to what Jesus says about how we build our homes, how we build our relationships. Jesus is a carpenter by trade, actually uses building imagery to help his followers understand the same tension that we deal with today. I love the picture he gives us at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, starting verse 24. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Pay attention to how Jesus says, anyone who listens to his teaching is wise. That's great news. If you aren't really familiar with this passage or the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus just taught on what do I do about being angry? What do I do about forgiveness? You know, what do I do with judgment? How do I handle money? How do we pray? How do we settle conflict? Adultery, divorce, loving your enemies, living generously. What if I'm worried? On and on it goes in the Sermon on the Mount. It's like, chapter, it's like a three-chapter blueprint for remodeling relationships. So let me just read this again so that we know what Jesus is talking about. He just, Sermon on the Mount, the blueprint, here he goes. Anyone who listens to this blueprint, to my teaching, and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Through the, though the rain comes, it, and it torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching does not obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Jesus is simply saying, this needs to mean something on Monday. It needs to mean something in our life because we're not flipping the house. These are the relationships I am in. I better build this house effectively, and that means I'm going, it's going to take some work. I'm going to have to not just listen to words preached on a Sunday morning, but actually follow them. So what keeps us, again, I'm thinking, I'm like, what keeps us from that second part that Jesus says, follows it? I don't know if you struggle with this, not just listening to it, but doing something about it. But can I give you some great news? You and I are not the first people to struggle with it. Because if Jesus said that here and there back then, it means that people then struggled with it, and everybody who has followed Jesus from then till now struggle with this. I've recently been reading a book called Glittering Vices by Rebecca DeYoung, where it walks the reader through some church history, some of the early church mothers and fathers. 
men and women who lived around 300 to 500 AD, these people would leave their communities to go pray and like be uber spiritual. Um, and they would re retreat for years and they would spend all this time praying, all this time serving God. And even they had trouble with this. But what, and what I found so encouraging was how they had trouble with this. They saw a lack of response and action to the teachings of Jesus as the most dangerous thing besides pride. They saw this feeling, this resistance to remodel as the most dangerous thing besides pride. This is the second most deadly sin. And the scriptures refer to this. I didn't come and make this up. Here are two examples of this feeling. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a story of two servants and a master. The master gives one servant five talents, the other one talent. The one who had five invested the money. The other servant buried it, did nothing. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. And then the master says to the servant, verse 26, you wicked and lazy servant. The, another translation says, you wicked and slothful servant. Why? Why does Jesus... Say, slothful, lazy, because the servant did nothing. Or, in Revelation 3, John writes a letter to the church of Laodicea, and he shares some strong words. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable, poor, blind and naked. Okay. In other words, Jesus is saying to this church, I'm going to spit you out because of your indifference and lack of doing anything. Why are they lukewarm? They say I'm rich, I don't need anything, I have it all together. Do you see what I've acquired? But they completely miss with all their wealth, with all their security, they've been gripped by something else. The early church fathers, they put a name to it. Ready? Here's, the, here's sloth. Yeah. What? Yeah, I know. Well, let me explain. Now, I got, because I have to be honest, when I first read this, this book and through scripture, Reading about sloth, I thought to myself, <laughs> um, well, well, good thing that's not me. Have you seen my calendar? I'm not a slothful person. Uh, mainly because when I think of sloth, I think of what most of you do. This is, this is what most of you think of sloth. <laughs> Steve. Okay. What do you think of when you hear sloth? You think furry animal. You think slow. We think lazy, indifferent. Apathetic, inactivity. Some of our lives, we're, we're so busy that even the idea of, you know, talking about sloth is comical to you. No, glad that's not my vice. It's not my problem. You sure it's not pride then? Um, but I, I, became, I came to a sobering discovery about this vice. Sloth, as we think of it, does not fully depict what the vice means. The early church fathers never used the word sloth. They used a different word for, I hear this, but something in me resists this, what Jesus refers to. They used a different word than sloth. They used the word acedia. Go ahead, say it. Ready? Acedia. What in the world does that mean? Um, acedia is the, the Greek word that means lack of care. 
lack of care. This word that we now think of as sloth originally had more to do with lazy about love than lazy about work. It's important. Lazy about love. For the uber-spiritual of the early church, the early church fathers most, ascedia was what got in the way of building their relationship with God and with each other. This was the sticking point for them to say, if this doesn't get resolved, we're never going to be able to do what Jesus says to do. As I read this, I'm well aware about how Jesus could write this same letter to most churches today. Our excuses aren't better than any of theirs. I'd love to change, but now I'm fine. I'm fine for now. I'm just really busy. How are you doing? I'm busy. How many, how many times have you said that and heard that? How are you doing? Oh, I'm busy. Gotta go. Welcome to, I say this in, in, in love, welcome to the breeding pool of Acedia, Morris County, New Jersey. And I, and I feel it too. We are restlessly busy. And if relationships and, and people are the most important relationships, the most important treasure, then how much more does God want us not to be lazy about love? Not to be lazy in love. But we as people of God, we're called to be crazy about love. Crazy about love. 1 Corinthians 1. The message of the cross is foolishness. It's crazy to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. The message of the gospel, that Jesus is God, that he died for our sins, to some, that sounds foolish. Man, you, are, you sound crazy right now. God, but God's love is an active love, not a lazy one. It's a crazy one. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he did something about it. Not God so loved the world, he sat back and watched, oh yes, he was, no, he sent his son to do something about it. That's crazy love. Crazy love. And you and I are called to live and love like this. Jesus sets the example. He's the model. He's the blueprint. And if we're supposed to follow the blueprint, then we are to be crazy in love, not lazy in love. Crazy in love, people forgive. Crazy in love, people give others the benefit of the doubt and don't jump to assumptions. Crazy in love, people are actively doing the love. But the truth is, I know this is true for me, that most of us are lazy about love. We fight against the hardship love requires to remodel, not to flip, not to buy the cheap paint, but to scrape off the old, buy the good stuff, take the cement, mix it up, do it the right way. Lazy about love, acedia, can look like apathy, laziness, indifference. Well, that's just who I am. I can't change. Have you heard what they said, what they did? And so it looks like us doing nothing. That's what we think of the regular sloth, doing nothing, the couch potato, or the restlessly busy. I'm too busy to change. I have too much going on right now. The avoidance, the resistance to remodel looks like the couch potato or the busy workaholic. Both are avoiding something. Both avoid changing, remodeling. In his own letter to the church in Ephesus, Paul sums up this resistance to change. He describes it as a battle between my old self and new self, my sinful desires, and my new identity in Christ. Ephesians 4. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put 
off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We feel this battle in our minds, in our souls, the battle between our sinful nature, who we were before we met Jesus, and our new self, who we are in Christ. When we say yes to Jesus, we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we begin this remodeling process through the power of the Holy Spirit. But who we were rubs up against who we are becoming. And again, the writer Paul describes this battle in Romans chapter 8. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And then in verse 12, he says, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, here comes a big statement. You're not controlled by your sinful nature, controlled by the power of God living in you. Therefore, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You, you have no obligation to do what your sinful er, nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. This battle that we experience is between our old self, the person we were before we met Jesus. And what they are battling is the transformation to be made new by the Spirit of God, letting go of who we were, letting it go. But we want a forever love without the effort. This is a sedia. It looks like laziness and doing nothing, or busyness and neglect to avoid that change. I will make room for you. I'm going, I avoid making room for you. When acedia grips our hearts, we're lazy about two relationships. Relationship with God, relationship with each other. Let's start with each other. It might help to, th to think about acedia in terms of our long-term relationships. The family you grew up in, the people currently living in your home, uh, the long-term friendships for the singles and young adults in the room, or the husband and, and wife relationship. In any of these relationships, they take some work. There are times it's exciting. It's awesome. Things going great with mom and dad. I feel really close to my friend, my girlfriend, boyfriend, fiance, spouse. We're having a blast. And then there are times when it feels really mundane and tedious work, a labor, a love. But staying committed takes a daily type of effort. To some, it feels, seems crazy. I've been married for about four and a half years to Olivia, and I know some of you are not married, and I know some of you have been married for longer, but when I said, I do to Olivia, it was a statement of my forever love for her. And not every day has been like our wedding day. We don't have champagne with dinner every night. We don't ask the DJ, keep singing, keep singing. We don't do that. Sometimes love is as unromantic as saying, I'm sorry. And crazy love would look like making the words, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? Coming out of my mouth. It's crazy love. And I'll tell you that love has changed me and it is changing me. I'm not the same man that I was when I said I do. And you can ask Olivia, I hope that I'm a better husband back you know, now than I was back then. And the same is true for her. She's a better wife than she is now than she was back then. And that doesn't mean she was bad. No, she was great. It just means that our love, our marriage is changing each other. We're, we're being changed. 
But when acedia comes into play, when the acedia grips our hearts, we become lazy about love, resisting the effort it takes day after day to keep the bonds of love strong, lazy to know I could change, I could love my wife better, and maybe I should, but I won't actually do anything about it. Basically, someone who wrestles with acedia would say, I want you to love me but being changed by love is too hard. I want the security and comfort of being loved without having to be love. I'd rather not sacrifice for what I want for what you want. I'd rather not take responsibility and invest in the relationship over the long haul. This is lazy love. Lazy in love. Lazy about love. I'll give you another example, and I asked Olivia's permission for this one. Just this past week, Olivia and I got into a disagreement at the end of Valentine's Day night. Yeah, that's right. We're humans, too. The last thing either of us wanted was to, to disagree and to like not feel the ooey-gooey feelings on Valentine's Day, but we just weren't there. We could have been lazy about love. And if, if this was four years ago, we would have been lazy about love. We could have avoided the disagreement. We could have brushed it aside. We could have spent the rest of the evening on different sides of the house. Easily. But we stayed. We finished the conversation. We could have gone to bed facing opposite directions. And to be honest with you, if I can be authentic, four years ago, I would have done that. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> I, I did that four years ago. I did. Because I was lazy about love. Okay, what about if you're not married? Or if you don't have kids? Okay, well, how about your neighbor? How about your friend, your, your classmate, your teammate? When was the last time you talked to your neighbor? Do you know their name? Do you know what your neighbor's needs are? And not the one you like, the one you... That's true for me, too. I love talking to this neighbor. This neighbor, I'm like, I don't know them. I'm lazy about love. While acedia can impact our relationships with people, and those are just a few examples, there's so many more, it can absolutely kill our relationship with God. Are we being lazy about love with that relationship too? Because our, our relationship with God mimics, it's the mirror to the dysfunctional relationships we find ourselves in day to day. For instance, I will if you will, God. I'll worship you if you but we shouldn't simply carelessly assume that God is going to be happy to leave us as we, we are or where we are and never make any demands on our time, any demands on our effort, our resources. Oh, no, that a relationship with God will cost us nothing. It won't be inconvenient. Our relationship with God isn't going to upset my priorities. No. He won't ask me to give up something I love to do, the, the things I've built my identity around. God, I want you to love me, but I don't want you to change me. Sounds like lazy about love to me. God, I know what love requires, but doing that's too difficult. I want the security. I want the comfort of being loved without having to be loved. I'd rather not sacrifice for what you want. Timothy Keller, famous theologian I like to refer to and read, he says this about, 
in referring to this thought. God sees us as we are. He loves us as we are, accepts us as we are, but by his grace, he does not leave us as we are. Amen. That's right, John. So this journey that we are on takes a lifetime to love and be changed by love. This remodel is a labor of love, hearing what Jesus says and following it. God says, I love you, love you too much to let you stay that way. When we put our faith in Jesus, yes, Lord, I believe you are who you say you are, then our identity changes. We are Christians, and we are becoming Christians. We are figuring out how to stop certain things and do more of other things. That sounds crazy. And this is just a fancy term, sanctification, the process of being made holy. You and I fully, completely loved by God. However, God invites us on this remodeling process to put effort into the relationship with him. But when acedia grips your heart, we begin to resist the identity in Jesus. I don't know if I want to put all the effort in. So we become the couch potato doing nothing or the restlessly busy person. I'm too busy. Acedia. But don't just take my word for it. People much smarter than me have studied acedia and written about it. Baylor University did a study about 10 years ago on acedia and wrote many essays about it. Here's a quote from one of their essays titled Resistance to the Demands of Love. Quote, at its core... Acedia is aversion to our relationship to God because of the transforming demands of love. God wants to kick down the whole door to our hearts and flood us with his life. We want to keep the door partway shut so that a few lingering treasures remain untouched, hidden in the shadows. So I guess, in a sense, those with acedia are slothful. We just want an easy spiritual life. We want an easy road with our relationships. The idea of fighting off our old self, that doesn't sound fun. That sounds hard. Denying what I want for what you want. That, thanks, Pastor John, but that feels like tiresome work. It's too painful. It's too difficult. It feels like a lot of work, so I'm just not going to put in the effort of maintaining and deepening the relationship. With other people, with each other, or with God. What happens is acedia, it stops our ability to love God and love those around us. What a slothful person, here's how you know if acedia is gripping your heart, what, a, what an acedia slothful person would do is emotionally check out. They go numb emotionally. Indifferent, the couch potato. Or they speed up and go faster. Frederick Buchner had this to say about Slothful, acedia people. Quote, like somebody with a bad head cold, slothful people have mostly lost their taste of sense, or their sense of taste and smell. Excuse me. They know something is wrong with them, but not wrong enough to want to do something about it. Other people come and go, but through glazed eyes, they hardly notice them. They are letting things run their course. They are getting through their lives. Hmm. So... What's the solution? I know some of you are like, great, Mike, thanks, this whole Acedia thing, interesting, whatever. Now what should I do about it? The problem is I can't give you a very clear solution. That's the hard part. For us workaholics, we like to do more. Give me the task. What do I do? Give me the tools. I can do something. I can fix it. 
then you'll keep doing whatever it is and you'll miss the point. And I also don't just want to put something on you where it pushes you and go, yeah, see, I can't do that. That's it. I'm done. I knew I couldn't do this. So it's hard to really give you a clear solution to this, which is why I'm glad Jesus did. Uh, he says we are wise when we listen and what? Follow. When we follow the example of Christ, it's a crazy type of love. It's not about working harder. It's not about working smarter. Many of us work too hard already. It's not about slowing down because some of us are bored and going too slow already. Maybe we need to be asking a different question this week. Instead of, what do I do with this? You can ask yourself, am I being lazy about love or crazy about love? Am I lazy about love or crazy about love? Am I avoiding doing love? And if you get comfortable with that question and you want to take it a little bit deeper, maybe ask yourself, what are my avoidance mechanisms? If you know yourself well, what, how, what does Mike like to avoid? And how does he avoid? How can I become more like Jesus and follow his example? How can I become crazy about love? The early church fathers, they gave, they practiced two things to battle acedia. The early church fathers who knew the problem, they practiced these two things to battle it. So I'll offer them to you and hopefully it helps. The first is stability of place. We fight acedia with stability of place, meaning if you want to be crazy about love, if you want to learn to do that, then you practice fierce loyalty. You stay when things get hard. On Valentine's night, you don't go into opposite corners of the house, you stay. And you'll learn to love others when they're difficult, and they'll learn to love you when you're difficult, and you'll learn to receive love when you're difficult. You stay. The second practice to fight acedia is courageous endurance. Courageous endurance. I learned this from, from John. Don't follow your feelings. Don't follow your heart. Lead your feelings. Lead your heart. I courageously endure. I just do. When I don't feel like doing the dishes or changing a dirty diaper, I just do. When I don't feel like calling that friend or checking up on them even though they haven't reciprocated anything, I just do. When I don't feel like leaning in conflict with my parents, who surprised me and they're here today. When I don't feel like leaning in on the conflict, I'd rather run away and not call them and talk to them. I just do, courageously endure. When I don't feel like waking up early or staying up late to spend time with the Lord, I just do. When I don't want to get to know my neighbors, I'd rather talk to that one, not that one. I just do. Here are some cookies. When I don't want to forgive, oh, I work with the Lord in my heart to courageously do it. And some might call you crazy. And if you're thinking, gosh, I can't do this. I can't do this. You're partly right. It's Christ in you and then through you to do it. But that means submission to the Holy Spirit who will remind you that you do not have to listen to the eyes of the enemy, that flipping the house is fine. Do the quick fix. 
That's not part of the lifestyle and teachings of Jesus. You can't just, parents, hear me, you can't just give up on your kid because they're making you mad. Students, listen to me. You can't just get mad and, and like, run away from your parents. You cannot give up. You have, you are, you and I, thank, thank you, Lord, you and I are under no obligation to do what our sinful nature urges us to do. We don't have to do that. But this is going to take work, isn't it? A lifetime of work. But Jesus reminds his disciples, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds his house on a rock. We're wise when we listen and we actually put his teachings into practice. Even though I don't feel it, I'm going to keep going. Why? Because my Savior, my Lord, courageously endured step after step with the cross on his back up to the hill so he could die for you and me. He courageously endured. He stayed. I can go day after day with my love. And if you do, if you act like crazy about love and not lazy about love, you'll be like the wise, the one who remodels his house on the rock. Let's stand as we close.